It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to the Go Birds Pod, a radio.com podcast about your beloved birds. Inside the Birds is back. What's going on, everyone? We have an absolutely enormous, huge, monumental Eagles win over the LA Rams to talk about. Usual suspects here, Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan. Former Eagle Billy Osborne, who actually predicted the Eagles to win. We'll talk about that. As always, Inside the Birds is powered by Defend Your Head, makers of Protex Softshell Helmet Technology. And remember to catch us this Friday, December, what's that, 21st? Yeah, from 4 to 6 p.m. at the all-new Market Tavern in downtown Philly at 30th and Market for another live edition of Inside the Birds. All right, fellas, let's get into it. Before we start, I got to say today is uh, Wednesday, and that means... Adam Kaplan, what you've turned twenty-five today, Adam? Is that correct? <clears throat> yes, yes. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, for pointing that out. Yes, I am. I wish I was twenty-five, but uh, yes, I, uh, I I've had a birthday, twelve nineteen. I I have an odd birthday. I think Chris Carter and I are the, exactly the same age. I'm not going to say how old that, that is. Yeah. <laughs> how about that? All right. Well, I'm, because it's your birthday, we're going to let you lead this thing off because <laughs> it must be that time of the year. Nick Foles starts for Carson Wentz. The Eagles win a big game, and oh my God, it feels like 2017 again. Jeff, I have to tell you, uh, uh, just studying this Eagles team in particular, just when you think they have no chance, they go out and win in Los Angeles. I mean, I, I, I just didn't see any way, guys, and we talked about this in our podcast last week from the Market Tavern, I couldn't come up with a reason why they could win that game. And I am blown away. I mean, every Eagle fan listening to us should be, if you ever doubted whether the team played hard for Doug Peterson, throw that out the door. No matter how undermanned they are, and talking to the Eagles about this, I, I kind of get it. No matter what goes on in their building, no matter how down they might be because they lost to the Cowboys, nothing takes Doug Peterson off course in believing they can win. And that's my one takeaway. No matter what 
what injuries they're throwing at them. We don't have their starting quarterback. Their running back rotation certainly different. Their defense is decimated by injury. It doesn't matter, but also it's not just Doug Peterson. I heard you guys talking a little bit earlier. I think Jim Schwartz, who I don't know why people take shots at him, he's given a very short deck. He's done a, He did a great job of this game. Guys, I would argue this is one of the best called games he's had as, as the Eagles defensive coordinator in his three years. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And we're going to get into that in this podcast, Adam, because it's been so much, you know, Wentz and Foles and Foles mania and who should be quarterback mumbo jumbo going back and forth that I think the defense has kind of been forgot, forgotten about. And we'll, we'll get into that in the podcast. Ozzy, I mean, I can't wait to throw it to you because you're the only one of us three that actually picked the Eagles to beat the Rams. So I said it when we were on WIP from 3 to 4 o'clock on Saturday. You have some sneaky football sense about you that clearly you you must have known something going into this thing. Well, I don't know if I, I knew something. I just had this feeling that with the quarterback change, I mean, they were bound to play better. They, they, they couldn't have played much worse uh, from an offensive and defensive standpoint the last couple of weeks. And, you know, never, never, what's the word, never, undervalue or misjudge the heart of a champion or the heart of a professional. When you're told that you can't do something and you're told that, you know, you're not good enough. A lot of times that's, you know, the motivation for someone to play better. And I also felt that Doug was going to change his game plan and that would also help the offense as well as the defense. And then quite frankly, was a Hail Mary and a prayer. Yeah, no, I mean, at that that last pass of the game, obviously incomplete, Eagles win, everybody kind of exhales. Uh, two things I want to then get into based on what you guys said. And I'm going to go backwards because Adam made a point about the Eagles playing for Doug Peterson, that their love for Doug Peterson, their respect and admiration for Doug Peterson is kind of what shines through here it's the big takeaway is that this team never gives up on Doug no matter how bad of a week that Doug may have in the at the press conference the players still have his back so Oz you played for Buddy Ryan and I feel like he's the type of guy who people say the same thing about especially defensive players run through the wall for him can you can you could you tell like players when you were with the Eagles even on the practice squad 89 98 could you tell that players just did things for Buddy simply because of the respect that they had for him did that matter Oh, my goodness gracious, yes. I mean, he – there are certain coaches that have this way about them that they can just give you a look or they can say something, and it just is all you need to be motivated. I had a, a coach – I mean, I, I played for them all. I played for streamers. I played for guys that were analytical. I played for guys that were huggers, criers. <laughs> And uh, one guy in particular, his name was Steve Corey, and he was, you know, I was, he was, he was a former receiver. His dad was Dick Corey. I know uh, Adam and you, I'm yeah, sure yeah. You, you know Dick. So he was a really, really good guy. And, and I had a relationship that if I made a mistake, I felt like I let him down. And I understood that if I dropped the ball or if I went offside, that even before I got to watch the film with the team, he would have to watch the film with the head coach and then break out with the offensive coordinator before. And he would have to basically hear, like, why is this happening? Why did he drop the ball? You know, get, 
I never wanted to put him in that situation. And that's the type of relationship that I feel Doug has with a lot of his players on this team. And I was, and I want to get your, both your opinion, thoughts of this too. Even when stuff was flying around there at the end of the game, I marveled at the composure of both Doug and Coach Schwartz on the sideline in that last fourth quarter when stuff was going all over the place. And I think you take your lead from the guys at the top, and that's why I think the team didn't panic. What do you think, Adam? I mean, do you think that there's something about Jim and Doug and that the way they run the team from Monday through Saturday that enables them to play with more composure and poise on a Sunday? You know, Jeff, I th- here's what I think. Jim Schwartz is a former head coach, one of the, really one of the, the, the best defensive coordinators in the league. People are getting on them for sometimes the bend that don't break, and I get that. That's when you play the wide nine. You're trying. You rush for. You don't want to blitz. Always remember, Jeff. Jeff, you know this from from not only living here, but from being around players and being around this community. Billy knows this because he played for Buddy. We love this area. Loves defense, and we love smash mouth sacks, blitz like crazy. That's not what Schwartz does. And after the wide nine failed under. Under Jim Washburn, you know, when, when Schwartz was named defensive coordinator at 16, people were like, oh, my God, not that guy. We don't want him. Well, guess what? Guy's a really good coach. Despite what happened in the Super Bowl, you still won with this guy being a defensive coordinator. And if you talk to NFL people, they'll tell you he's one of the top defensive coordinators in the league. He hasn't always done great. But, Jeff, to answer your question, they were prepared. What a game plan he put together, Jeff. And we all know what happened. They rushed four. They, they dropped seven. They played a lot of zone. We obviously will get into what what he really did, but it worked. I mean, it worked. As a matter of fact, I still to this day, Billy, why in the world do they go man in other games? They, you can't go man with the junk that they have a corner. It surprises me. Well, I, I agree with you, and we saw that last week or two, yeah, two weeks ago when we were like, why all of a sudden in the fourth quarter against the Cowboys do we decide to go man bump and – Make uh, Amari Cooper seem like, you know, he is the second coming of Jerry Rice, which he is a great receiver. But to put any DB on him man to man without any safety help over top is a little bit, you know, risky, especially if you're not blitzing. And I know that they were, you know, it's almost like pick your poison because they were trying to stop the run. And I think Coach Schwartz did a really good job in this game. And he basically just said, we're going to keep everything underneath us and In this league, it's very difficult to keep converting third downs, especially third and longs. So at some point in a 70 or an 80-yard drive, the team is going to have a third and medium or a third and long, and that's where teams get after you because the hot reads are usually four- to five-yard adjustments. And what I mean by that is wherever your blitz is coming from, if you're the receiver on that side, whatever your route is, you now adjust it, and it's either a four-yard hitch a four-yard slant, a four- or five-yard out. And if it's third and nine and you're the only receiver that's going to get the ball because you're the hot read, well, guess what? Punt team because now they just came up and they tackled you because now it's fourth and five or fourth and four. And I think that's what Jim Schwartz was counting on. And for the most part, it worked. I also thought, Jim, you know, for the the whole blitzing discussion, I thought he blitzed probably a little bit more. I didn't see the stats, but just from the eye. It was actually only 10 or 11 times, believe it or not. 10 or 11 times, which is kind of a little bit more. Usually he's a five or six or seven. Yeah. There are certain quarterbacks that Jim will be very 
uh, circumspect about that. He believes that you pressure usually some mobile guys. He likes like Alex Smith or Russell. He likes to get them running in the opposite direction of their dominant hand. So he'll try to blitz from that, uh, the opposite direction to get them mo- moving that way. And there are other guys who just either have athleticism or they're a little shaky when they're on the run. I think uh, Blake Bortles is a great example of that. He blitzed Bortles a little bit more than he did does you know any other quarterback. And I think that's what he saw out of Goff. I think Jared Goff has been a really good quarterback the last two weeks. I'm sorry, two years from a statistical standpoint, but we saw it last year in the Eagles game, and you've seen it a little bit with the Bears game the week before. You put him under pressure, and he he's not like the, the elites. He doesn't deal with pressure as well as some of the better quarterbacks do. And then clearly the... I don't know if you want to call it a fumble or interception, the ball ending up in Corey Graham's hand. That That's a play there that kind of illustrates why Jim likes to send a little bit more pressure. Now you go the first third down of the second half, he brought Nigel Bradham and Goff just threw the ball out of bounds immediately on third down. Last play of the game, which is normally a time where Jim backs up everybody. He took his two linebackers and rushed to match Jared Goff and he didn't throw the ball very well on the last play of the game. So I think you're right, Adam. It is about the front four. It is about, the pressure and those defensive linemen did an excellent job, but I actually thought Jim's blitzing was selectively smart. Um, and it usually is. I just, it really stood out to me in this game. And I also think that the fact that they were getting pressure with four guys, I mean, they were, they were constantly in the face up front. You know, that's a key too. how you're collapsing the pocket. Even if you're not blitzing, as long as the quarterback is feeling people at their feet and are not able to step in throws and there's always somebody in a vision, That's a big deal. And, you know, who would have thought? I mean, I know this is the holidays and whether you're Christian or Jewish, it really doesn't matter because we all remember, you know, those things that we see in the old, you know, the wise tales where you see Ebenezer Scrooge or you see It's a Wonderful Life. Well, in that same vein, Jared Goff, for whatever reason, did the Eagles a favor and did his best Garrow Upremium imitation and tried (laughs) to pass the ball when he was getting flung around. And for the same way it happened for the Redskins way back then, it happened for the Eagles and it ended up in an interception because it went off somebody's shoulder pads and another helmet. Yeah, the ghost of Jared Goff present. Yes. uh, (laughs) He was giving presents to the Eagles defense. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the the offense because they're obviously it's now Nick Foles mania in Philadelphia. He won a game and listen, there's every single take going on right now uh, <laughs> in cyberspace on it's the airwaves, of, out of hand. on this podcast, on any podcast. Uh, you know, I thought Nick played a really good game. Obviously, um, I thought it was a bad decision on Doug's part to run the ball there in the fourth quarter on the first down that led to Nick's bad pass. But we'll talk about that a little bit, but I, I I want to attack this, the idea that the offense looked a lot different with Nick Foles as quarterback, because I think there are some differences. Clearly I don't need, you know, we don't need experts here to, to say that Nick targets Alshon Jeffrey and he threw the ball downfield and you hadn't seen that a lot this year, but from a philosophical standpoint, from a route concept standpoint, I don't know that, to me, and, and Ozzy and Adam, I'll, I'll throw this to you, I don't know that the offense is so drastically different. I just think that this what you saw was an offense that moved moved well, especially in the first half. Right, right. I would say this. The, the thing that I noticed with Carson Wentz as he was going through some struggles is he's nowhere nearly as fearless as he used to be. And the Dallas game was a perfect example of that until the fourth quarter. The Washington game, he missed some throws. We already, we've talked about it. He, 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 as well as he played, he missed some throws that there's no way he was missing last year. There were four in particular, but I just don't think he's willing to take the chances that he used to. That what made him special prior to his knee injury, guys, last year is his 
willingness to make every throw. And some of you go, why is he making that throw? You know why? Because he thinks he can make it. Now he's not doing that as much. I, I think the fearlessness of Carson Wentz, I don't say it's gone. It's just not as, it's not the level it used to be. He's not, he's not been a special quarterback this season. I think he'll be special again, which is what the fans want to see. And the reason why, guys, the, the fans are going crazy in talk radio is because they're about now. They're fanatical. They want instant gratification. If the guy's not playing well, they're like, all right, give me the next guy. It's it's what happens with a backup quarterback. Everybody loves a back, backup quarterback of this town. In 1985, when the Eagles drafted Randall Cunningham, or 86, whenever the hell it was, the fans wanted Jaws out of there. When Buddy put in Randall Cunningham on, on his special third down package, fans wanted more. Jaws is gone the next year. When Randall started struggling, they wanted Jim McMahon in the game. It goes on and on and on. So it doesn't surprise me that fans want Foles to finish the season. And in talk radio, you see some of the hosts say the same thing. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I want the guy, if it were me, I want the guy to get, who gives the team the best chance to win, who's healthy. That right now is number nine, Nick Foles, and that's kind of where I am in the situation. Well, Ozzy, what do you think about the offensive design and, and execution from one to another? Do you think there's a big difference in the play calling and the designs of the of the routes or anything that strikes you? Well, there's you guys, there's absolutely no doubt that Carson Wentz is the better quarterback. But for whatever reason, the philosophy with Doug Peterson when Carson is the quarterback versus Nick is different. And I'm telling you guys this, I mean, if you guys sat next to me, we watched film, you would be able to see this very, very clearly. And you just got to go back and just look at this game stats. If you just take one stat itself, you will see. When was the last time Carson played an entire game and only threw the ball 31 times? Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't remember that. I, and, and if you look at the amount of runs on first down, you know, I remember saying to my kids and Jamie when it was third and four, third and five, I said, if they run the ball here, this is going to be a big play. Watch it. And it wasn't necessarily because of the defense. It was because I can't remember the last time the Eagles actually ran the ball on third down. I can't even remember. So he was doing things. Uh, can I was, just uh, let me just enter. I'm going to let you finish your point. The, the Eagles run quite commonly on third down and third and short. I, I think that that's kind of a reaction to what you just uh, I said no I said third, four or five that's like third and medium almost I mean, okay. they usually go I, shotgun empty set on 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 any of those pick your down in distance I'm just talking about okay, you're specifically at third and yeah. four and third and medium okay all right yeah. that's fair all I think right, they so, do that last year they did it you're, this year not as much so so I, I get your point yeah so no, what you're asking me about mm. is the offense differently and I, and I'm explaining to you guys it's it's clearly different the way he calls the plays. And he will call back-to-back -back runs. Now, there were still a lot of shotgun runs, but there were some different things, and he actually stayed with it. Now, there were things that were really confusing to me, and that's when it was second and short. And instead of we, – we, they just ran the ball nine yards with Darren Sproles, and they're basically in the red zone. Now, I have no idea – well, I shouldn't say that. Second and short, or second and inches is a waist down. We all know that. That's a waist down. However, why do you go shotgun, not even play action? I mean, the teams on the other side is going to think that you're going to probably run the football on second and inches. He just lines up in shotgun. The tight end just releases, 
And, of course, they overthrow him. He was open, but the tight end releases. He doesn't even block down. Now, we saw last night on Monday what happens when you look like you're going to run the ball and your tight end blocks down and you release with the Carolina Panthers when they threw that easy touchdown pass to the tight end from the running back. These are the things because they're, they're getting their run read. So that was my concern about why did they do that. And then on third down, instead of just running up and doing the quarterback sneak, they went through all these things, they ran a motion, and then they got Jason Peters offside. So instead of getting a touchdown there when it was first and goal or second and goal from the uh, the one, I think the nine-yard line, they ended up having to kick the field goal. But if you go through all that, you'll see that he ran the ball more, he stayed with it more, and it wasn't so much, you know, let the quarterback just drop back and shotgun and pick places. There were plays being run, and obviously – the Rams said, you're not beating us with the run. They played a lot of bump man, which is why he was throwing the ball to the outside because they were doubling inside with the tight ends and they were playing man-to-man on the outside with the wide receivers. So is it, though, that he called the game differently because of the fact that he was on a backup quarterback and playing a team on the road that had 11 wins? Or do you think that Doug calls a game differently in general with Nick Foles? In my experience... And, 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 uh, And to add to that, do you think it's a drastic difference? Because I personally don't see a drastic difference. I see, I agree with you that there was more balance on run and pass. And I think that that's because it's Nick in the game. And I don't, I think any coach would kind of do that with their backup quarterback against in that scenario. No, it's, it's not drastic. And I actually give him credit mm-hmm. because most coaches will go and they'll say, Hey, and I think you even sent me something that actually backed up what I actually said on a show yesterday. Mm-hmm. Most coaches will say to their quarterback, I did it when I call plays. I do it all the time. I even do it now. I have the play call. I have plays, you know, 50 plays on the sheet. And I will give it to the quarterback and the wide receivers. And I say, take a look at this. Tell me what you like. And then I will decide what I'm going to attack, what I'm going to use based on what they tell me, because I want them to feel good about a play. So there's no doubt that they sit down with Nick and they say, you know, here's our attack going in. Here's our base of plays we're going to run. What do you like? What don't you like? What do you feel comfortable with and why? And they try and do the best they can to formulate their attack based on what the personnel is and, of course, what the quarterback is good at. You made a great point to me. I said to you, I think yesterday, whereas I couldn't believe how much shotgun we went. Mm -hmm. And you said that doesn't surprise you because Nick never went under center in college. That makes perfect sense. Why make somebody do something they're not comfortable with? Great, great observation. Great point. Great job by Coach Peterson. Um, so, no, I don't think it's drastic, but I think he did. And, and you can hear what he says after the game. He's, he's saying all the things that we've been talking about since week three and four, which is you have to stay with the running game. You have to at least give your team a chance and run the ball. You have to stay with it. And Coach Peterson is saying that after the game, that the big difference is that because they are staying with the run. And I think that is a credit to him. And I think then when you get Nick out there in those man-to-man situations, he made, you know, Aguilar look great. And he was really feeding him the football. Can I, yeah, let, me add, let me add, go ahead, Adam. Let me add a, yeah, let me add a couple things. So I think last year, you know, Bill was talking about early in the season, he's right. They put way too much on Wentz's plate coming back from the knee injury. Last year before he got hurt, they're lit. You could have given him a thousand plays a game. He would have been able to process, and it you'd feel like he can handle anything. I think what Doug learned the hard way is, yes, you want to go in thinking your guy could do everything, but you have to adjust on the fly. If you see him not quite what he is, back off a little bit. Run the ball more. 
give him easier throws to make, and that's called coaching. I think Doug, earlier in the season, could have done a better job of making Carson more comfortable because he was not as accurate. The, the, when I say accurate, I'm talking about from game to game, in, in-game accuracy, not the aggregate number, which is up this year. You know, his, his, his completion percentage was up around not, about 9%, but in-game, he would miss throws that he would normally make. And that's one of the reasons why the record wasn't as good. It wasn't on just him. It was on everybody. The defense wasn't good enough. Um, several things were bad. The offensive line was. But I did not think Doug was helping enough as more enough as he should have like last year. Because last year it was all going well. When it's not going well, find something different. That was my one criticism, criticism of, of Peterson. Now, let's move forward to Nick Foles. Nick Foles is a quarterback. You cannot ask him to make every throw. There's certain throws he's great at. Believe it or not, though Carson's, Carson Wentz's strong arm is actually stronger, Nick has got a great downfield touch. One of the biggest surprises of Nick Foles is, and we saw it in the playoffs, against Minnesota on the flea flicker to Torrey Smith. We saw it to, to Alshon Jeffrey in the middle of the field for a touchdown in that game. We saw it repeatedly against the Patriots, and we saw it this game. His downfield passing accuracy is incredible. I, 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 I didn't see this under Chip Kelly because that was really not the offense. We didn't see it when he was with the Rams, but we're seeing it now. And this is this is the part of the game where Doug has him in, in practice every week, guys. He sees him doing it, and he dialed it up. For whatever reason, and I know this is an issue with a lot of people. It is for me, and I, maybe it's Carson. And, and, and Mike Rowe claimed in his press conference this week they're calling the same plays. But for the for the life of me, I don't understand why there were n- very there were very few downfield plays, guys, with Carson Wentz and his receivers. And why in one game are we seeing more of them? I have no answer for that. And Mike Rose certainly thought that's not an issue. But we know what our eyes told us. Well, I mean, doesn't it just come down to trust? I mean, the, some of those throws that Nick threw to Alshon Jeffrey, right, were just basically here's the ball, come and get it. And one of them was. I don't know. I don't know if it was intended for Alshon or I don't know if it was intended for Aguilar, but Alshon came down with it because for the first five years of his career in Chicago, that's how Alshon Jeffrey made his money. And that's why he was one of the best receivers in the league. I've always found it interesting that you could probably only pinpoint five or six times last year that Carson really threw it to Alshon in a jump ball or a back shoulder variety. And a couple of them Alshon didn't come up with, and we all thought that was a big, big headline. But it just doesn't seem like it's in Carson's nature to throw the ball to Alshon in that kind of capacity, which capitalizes on Alshon's strengths. But Nick is all willing to do it. Yeah, and you, Jeff, you and I talked about that, I think, with Billy last Friday. We were both like, I think you brought it up toward the end. You were like, one thing they got to do, and, and we, we still to this day don't know why Alshon has not been used a lot in the last like six weeks prior to this game. Absolutely. the, the guy. That's what makes him special, what he does. He's one of the few receivers, and you're going to see this with DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, ironically, with the Texans. Just throw it in my area. I'll go get it. Don't worry about it. It'll be on me. That's what he wants. And Nick did it. And yet, yeah, did they dial him up a little bit downfield? But it wasn't just those throws. This guy is going to go and get it. That's why they extended his contract. And that's probably one area, guys, where we we move on from this. What I've learned, Alshon Jeffrey should have been way more involved before this week. There's really no excuse for it. Golden Tate needs the ball more. I, I get what Mike Gross saying about they only have one football, but in general, Alshon Jeffrey is a special football player, and they've got to get him the ball more. 
And and you know just to follow up on that too, they they follow they they did a great job of catching the Rams in, in man-to-man coverage, and you see that Ashan he won at the line of scrimmage. I mean, give him credit, he won at the line of scrimmage, and he was able to get upfield, and then Nick threw a perfect you know a couple perfect balls in there. And I think because the Eagles, I mean, you and I we've talked about this, and I think Adam, you even had a percentage on on the run pass ratio, and I think you said it was like sixty something. At one point, I think I guess 70, and you said, no, it was like 62, 63%. Yeah, yeah. Well, last week, it was 30, it was almost 50-50, and it was, it was 31-30, and it was, you know, very important. Well, they, they got the lead, obviously. You know, it's the same as last year. They, they got a huge lead, but but the Giant game, though, to back up your point, they were behind, okay, they were behind, but they still ran the football, and and that, that, that was surprising to me because that was not what we expected. Like, generally, what I was joking – to you guys privately uh, through text during the game, like here we go. The Eagles failed on the fourth and two or fourth and one, and they're give if the Rams score here and go up fourteen to three, that's it. They're going to throw every down, but that's not what happened. They stopped them, and Doug stay with it, Bill. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not sure what to make Doug his play calling. You never know with him because all of a sudden he's embracing the run for the most part. Now the Dallas game, um, that's a different one, but the, the Giant game that shocked me. I don't know what to make of it. Well, just to so you know, at halftime, they had ran 30 offensive plays and 14 of them were passes. So they were very consistent early in the game as they were late in the game. And my only issue is that he didn't run the ball enough. And just the one critical piece that I have in this entire game is when they're running the ball and things are going well, they had a first and 10 from the 18 or 19 yard line. So they're in the red zone. The fourth quarter is starting. They're up 30 to 13. And, you know, for whatever reason, he dials up a pass on first down. To me, just like he did early in the game, that is a situation where you just run the ball three straight times. You're going to be under 11 minutes of the game. You Even if you don't get a yard, it's a 35-yard field goal. And you now go up by three touchdowns. I don't care if you pass on air. It's tough to score three touchdowns in 11 minutes. And that's the one criticism I had of Coach Peterson that on that particular play, after they were running the ball effectively, he's got to understand the game. Obviously, your quarterback needs to throw the ball right, but he's programmed to attack. He's programmed to score. You as the head coach, you have to save your players instead of themselves and and in spite of themselves. And in that situation there, I thought, here we go. We just ran the ball really good the first two plays. Let's just stay on the ground. If we get the first down, great. If not, kick the field goal, and this game is over. The, everybody's going to put their hats on backwards. They're going to be high-fiving. The towels are going to be out. Everybody's going to be laughing, and this game is in the books because the Rams realize they can't win either, up you know, down three touchdowns with 11 minutes to go. And instead, what happens on first down? They throw the bat pass, which I have no idea why he called it, and it gets intercepted, and that started the that started the comeback and everybody biting their nails that's my big criticism i don't know what you guys think yeah i mean i, I hear you i mean they, they the first of all nick made a bad decision but yeah they, they, that was one point where they absolutely should have run the ball because they should have got the field goal but anyway jeff i think it's time to move to defense because that was really cool what schwartz did yeah so listen we got only a few minutes and i want to get into the defense here uh fletcher cox michael bennett chris long we talk about it all the time they don't always manifest in sack numbers pressure consistently hounding and harassing quarterbacks. They played one of their best games as a line uh, absolutely when the Eagles needed it the most. 
Oh, look, there's no doubt. I mean, I was shocked, absolutely shocked at what we went up seeing. And you got to give coaches credit. They, everyone was prepared for this. And the energy that their defense, Jeff, had, I don't know about you, but I, I was shocked at, at, this game was on the road on a short week. I, I just, I'm still, I'm still in awe of how well their defense did. We already talked about the offense, but defensively, the play that they got from Avanti Maddox in that game, boy, did he arrive in a big way. Bill, mm-hmm. Bill, Billy told us about him because Billy did their games at Pitt. And their front four needed to get home without blitzing because they didn't, you know, obviously they didn't blitz very much. Still, despite what people thought, they didn't blitz very much. They got home on that uh, with their front four, Jeff. They mm-hmm. destroyed John Sullivan. I, Fletcher Cox was, look, we always speak well of him. He took his game, if it were possible, to another level. I'm still in awe of what he did. Um, just their defensive line was incredible. And remember, they're they're shorthanded at linebacker. Nigel Bradham had another good game. He arrived after a, after a struggles earlier in the season. And how about Corey Graham, who people think can't run anymore? I mean, <laughs> how, how do you, Bill, how, Bill, Bill, as a former player, okay, how does a guy in his 30s who really shouldn't be starting, how does he play every snap? Like, how does that even work? Uh, adrenaline, great conditioning, uh, <laughs> air on the outside, uh, an opportunity when you're, um, you know, you think you're going to be able to chance to win the game. So I think it's a lot of it has to do with adrenaline fact that, you know, and let's face it, he's a special player. So yeah, you're not going to see that from too many people, but I agree that that was, that was something to say. So listen, one thing we're definitely going to get into on Friday when we're at the Market Tavern from 4 to 6 o'clock p.m., please come out and join us, 30th Street and Market, uh, right across from the train station, is Avante Maddox, him returning from the injury, the impact that he's had. And obviously, Bill, you've watched him as the pit play-by-play guy that you were for several years. You 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 gave us the scouting report on Inside the Birds several times, and you've even suggested that he could play some outside corner, which is what he played at Pitt in the NFL, even though he's probably a slot and he certainly did a great job in in his debut uh, against the Rams on the outside so we'll get into that but it was nice to have him back from injury and did you know every year in the United States there are more than 3.8 million sports related concussions and that most of these injuries occur in children and young adults Defend Your Head is leading a revolution in head protection with their soft shell technology product called ProTech. ProTech is a protective helmet shell made from specialized polyurethane foam that absorbs and dissipates the energy caused by a hit to the ProTech cover. ProTech acts like an airbag, delaying the timing of the impact, just like an airbag delays the time of your body and head from hitting the dashboard when a crash occurs. ProTech is scientifically proven to reduce G-force impacts by up to 70%. So for more information about the ProTech helmet shell used by Penn State, Temple, and Penn football programs, or to place an order for your ProTech helmet shell, email info at defendyourhead.com, or visit defendyourhead.com. So we're going to get a lot into the, the the matchup with the Eagles, Texans, here at the link Sunday. We'll get into that on Friday. That's going to do it for Inside the Birds, presented by Defend Your Head, makers of the ProTech Helmet Safety Shell. Remember to check them out at defendyourhead.com. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to the Go Birds people and WIP. Catch us Friday in person at the all-new Market Tavern from 4 to 6 p.m. at 30th Street and Market in Center City, Philadelphia for another exciting live edition of Inside the Birds. Join us. Uh-huh.